One of the dangers of preaching through the book of Revelation is that, I mean, book of Daniel, is that any one of you could become discouraged by some of the applications we've been making from Daniel. We've been making quite a few. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, uh, none of us meet up with the standard that uh, Daniel was able to meet. He didn't meet up with God's standard, but I think we fall considerably short. And it could be discouraging. I know when I um, was in my early 20s, I thought that I could uh, never be a minister because I looked at the incredible qualifications that some of the men of previous generations uh, have had, and there was no way that I could measure up to uh, where they stood. And perhaps you have neglected some aspect of what God has called you to because you've compared yourself uh, to another. And that is focusing on the wrong thing because there's a sense in which not a one of us is adequate for what God has called us to. In fact, we are infantile when we consider the incredible task God has called us to do. And uh, the key to success is not greatness by the world standards. Uh, it is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the word pictures which has really helped me to grasp this is a story I think um, I gave to you once before, a number of years back. But it's a story from the life of the famous pianist, Jan Paderowski. Paderowski uh, was putting on a, a major concert this one time, and there was a mother who brought her son along because she really wanted that son to aspire to be something great in the area of music, wanted him to practice hard. So they got their tickets, uh, got a front seat row right down there uh, in front of the stage, and uh, she noticed that one of her acquaintances was sitting right near her, and so she began to get into a conversation with this friend of hers, and unbeknownst to her, her son had slipped out, gone up onto the stage, and was playing on the piano. Twinkle, twinkle, little star. And she turned around to see whose bratty little kid was up there and turned beet red when she realized it was her own. But before she could rush up there to retrieve her son, Paderowski came out, whispered something in the boy's ear, and with his hands on either side of the boy, began filling in the pieces as he played again, twinkle, twinkle, little star. And he turned that dumpy little tune into something that was just a magnificent, from what I understand, a magnificent impromptu piece from Paderowski's hands. And I believe that is what God does with our ministry. Uh, in a sense, we are inadequate. We are feeble. We are weak. Uh, we play dumpy tunes, as it were, but by the presence of God's Spirit, our dumpy tunes can be turned into that which is beautiful in God's sight. It is a beautiful ministry in the church a beautiful ministry uh, in the world. And uh, uh, it is because of God's presence. He is with our mouth, He is with our hands, He is with our ministries. And I think even the pagan queen mother was able to see that there was something different about Daniel that could not be attributed to his genius. I don't think there can be any question. Daniel is genius. But there was something remarkable that was outside of him that she attributes some of his um, ministry to. In verse 11, she says, There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. That is what I want the pagans to say about me. That is what I want the pagans to say about each one of you. That there is something outside of ourselves that is very obvious. That uh, you're different. You are one in whom is the spirit of the holy God. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Christ attributed our works to exactly the power of God working through us. He said that they may see your good works and glorify you 
No, it's in glorify your Father in heaven. Because even though they are your works, he calls them your works, they are to have a character that transcends anything that we can accomplish. And if you are to be pleasing to God in your work, you do not need Daniel's gifts. You don't need his brains. You don't need some of the neat things that he had in his life because you're not called to his particular job. You don't need more social recognition. You know, a lot of times people feel like they've been robbed. You know, they don't have beauty, they don't have the job that they need, they don't have uh, social recognition, or they need more money. And they say, if only I had a few more things, I would be able to be successful in my ministry to the Lord. If only I had the gifts that Daniel had, yeah, then I could really serve. But those were not the things that made Daniel. It was the presence of God's Spirit that was in his life that was key to success. God uses giftings, we're going to be looking at that in a moment, but you know, it's very easy for us to begin to substitute the giftings we have for a dependence upon the power and the presence of God's Spirit in our life. Very easy for that to happen. Uh, Charles Spurgeon mentioned how that had been true in his life a number of times because he was incredibly skilled uh, and, and gifted in his pastoral ministry. And he said there were times where he presented a tremendous sermon and he got a lot of praise from it, but it produced no, uh, no fruit in the lives of people. And he said there was one particular case that stood out in his mind when he had been praying that God would minister in the congregation and take his feeble words. And he came away from the uh, end of the sermon just feeling depressed because he said it was an awful sermon. I can't imagine any of Spurgeon's sermons being awful, but he felt it was so inadequate. And he found out later that 54 people had come to Christ through that sermon and many other lives had been touched because of the presence of God's Spirit in his life. It was not the presence of gifting. It was not the presence of any particular person. And I think the reason is what the queen says here. He was a person in whom is the spirit of the holy God. I think we compare ourselves to others too frequently and are thinking that what we need are the things in their lives rather than the presence of the spirit. Let me illustrate that with just some of the revivals that have happened uh, in uh, our recent history. Um, a lot of books that describe revivals, when you get done reading the book, uppermost in your mind is uh, maybe one or two key preachers whom, yes, the Lord used mightily, and yet we fail to realize that those same preachers preached very similar way previously without any effect. We fail to realize that a lot of the revivals started in obscure circumstances and had a lot of behind-the-scenes situations uh, that the Lord used. For example, the Welsh revival, as I understand it, started in a Christian Endeavor meeting where there was a, a timid little Welsh girl who stood up, too nervous to say anything except for to say, oh, how I love Jesus. And it was at those words that the fire of God came down on that young people's group. It spread through the church, through that town, through the country of Wales quite well known how God used Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. But a lot of people don't realize that that was the second time he preached that sermon. The first time he preached it, there wasn't any impact. There wasn't any effect in the lives of the people. The night before Jonathan Edwards preached his sermon, God stirred up the hearts of many lay people who were afraid that God was going to bypass that town and they were led by God's Spirit to agonize in prayer all night long and when Jonathan Edwards got into the pulpit the next morning, 
And he read his sermon, word for word, he read it, monotone voice in front of his face like this. God's fire came down upon that congregation in such power. Some of the people lost sight of the reality around them. They were holding onto their pews, feeling like they were being falling into hell itself. And the rest, of course, is history. It was not the presence of gifts. It was not the presence of gifted people, even though Jonathan Edwards was an incredibly gifted person. It was the presence of Almighty God there. Perhaps none of you will be in Daniel's position in government. Let me assure you, God has appointed every one of you to fill a role that no one else can fill in our society. And if your desires to be used in God's kingdom are to come to effect, you must not be envying what God has given to others or coveting what is not essential to your calling. There's only one thing that is essential. And you can covet that one thing with all your heart without any fear of displeasing God, and that is to covet the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. And the more you have of that spirit, the more evident will be the success of your ministry. I think if that one statement that the Queen makes here of Daniel could be made of each one here, I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled to have it so evident that the Spirit's presence in your life is what is making a difference in your life that even the pagans cannot mistake that. I think that would be tremendous. But point two, where the Spirit is, there will always be giftings. There will be spiritual giftings. There will be uh, giftings of material things. Whatever is needed for your particular calling, the Spirit will pour out into your life. And I want to take a look at some of the things that the Spirit gave to Daniel, beginning at verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Now, this is her pagan perspective, but she recognizes it's not something inherent in Daniel. There's something that goes beyond what men have. Wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. Now, God is not going to give us the specific light and understanding and wisdom that he gave to Daniel, but each one of us in our callings need his light, his understanding, his wisdom, if we are to do our jobs effectively. If you mothers are to seek to guide your children as God expects you to guide them and to have the kind of impact God expects you to have, you're going to need the endowments of his spirit in your life. When you come to a particularly difficult time in the day and you're thinking, How do I deal with this? I don't know what to do. Go to the one who knows, and he has promised. He will give you the wisdom for that moment. I've seen it in my life over and over. Kathy has testified to that, and I know several of you have testified God's wisdom comes when you need it, if you pray in faith. Uh, James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Light, understanding, wisdom, it comes from the Spirit alone. Now, what about some of these other endowments? Uh, position. Uh, the queen says that King Nebuchadnezzar had given this to Daniel. In verse 11, she goes on to say, And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So she attributes his position to what the king had done, and that's true. King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had done that. But when you read back in the story, earlier in the book, you see God had moved Nebuchadnezzar's heart to do that, and it was really miraculous that he should be in that position. 
He was a slave, he was a foreigner, and it was just unthinkable that he could get to such a powerful position as he was in. So this was the calling of God himself upon his life. You know, a lot of times people speak of calling of God as only applying to a minister. You know, that the minister's uh, calling is very important. But again, the Reformed faith says, every one of you has a calling of God. And that can change from time to time, but has a calling of God that is every bit as spiritual as my calling is. You mothers have a holy calling from God. Uh, You plumbers, uh, if there's a plumber or a farmer or whatever your task might be, it is a calling from God. And that means you need to do that calling depending upon his power. You need to be looking to his word for how you can do it in a way to best honor him. You need the presence of his spirit to be excellent in that. And so position is a, is a gift of God. Verse 12 talks about character inasmuch as an excellent spirit uh, was in him. It talks not just about external gifts, but it talks about spiritual gifts. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel. Earlier, Daniel had, uh, uh, had told Nebuchadnezzar, that uh, uh, it was not any innate skill that he had. It was something that was given from God. And you too must look to the Lord for giftings, and you need to be faithful to the Lord in the use of your giftings. Don't hide your talent in the ground just because you have less than some other person may have. Don't do that. Uh, God did not make a mistake when he gave Daniel the particular position he gave and the particular giftings he gave, and he has not made a mistake in your life. You might feel like uh, you would rather be in a different position. Uh, You might rather have some different giftings. And the Lord may give as we ask, but we need to use and stir up what the Lord has given to us. Uh, The New Testament indicates as uh, God has dealt to each one a spiritual gift. Every believer has at least one uh, spiritual gift. And our problem, I think, is many times we are spending so much time wishing we had something that we don't have We don't spend the time developing it. In 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul told Timothy, do not neglect the gift that is in you. He reminds him again in 2 Timothy 1.6, stir up the gift of God which is in you. Uh, I think we ought not to be desiring new gifts if we're not using the gifts God has already given. And I think we too many times think what God has given us is not enough. I think it's the very opposite. We are not using at all uh, to the max what uh, God has given to us. I think of a little girl uh, who was at um, the opening ceremony of a cathedral in Europe, something that took, I think, over a 100 years to build. And she was just proudly standing there and talked to the guard next to her and said, I helped build that cathedral. And he laughed and asked her how that was. And she says, well, I bought my dad lunch every day that he worked there. She saw her little part and how it fit into the overall plan. She didn't despise her small contributions. And each one of us have a part in the overall plan of the building of God's kingdom. And it's not just in terms of how the little parts fit in, but many times God multiplies the little that we give. Uh, 13-year-old Bobby Hill, the son of a U.S. Army sergeant who was stationed in Italy, had read uh, Albert Schweitzer's uh, a biography and uh, was really troubled over the, the medical needs that were over there. And he was burdened to do something about it. He didn't have very much money, but he had enough money to buy an aspirin bottle. 
So he bought an aspirin bottle and he mailed it to the uh, commander of the Allied forces in southern Europe and he asked, could you please parachute this to the hospital in Africa? Well, a, a radio station in Italy heard about that and put out an appeal and there was $400,000 worth of medical supplies that accompanied that aspirin bottle. It was almost like a multiplication of the loaves and the fishes. You know, it doesn't matter whether we have great amounts of giftings or little amounts of giftings. What matters is have we put them on the altar? Are we using them? Are we at God's disposal like Daniel was? That is the critical question. So we've looked at two questions so far. Do you have the Spirit of God indwelling you? Secondly, are you using your gifts and talents for the Lord as a stewardship trust? Thirdly, are you walking in the power of the Spirit? Daniel showed that he was motivated by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit, I think, in a number of ways in this chapter. I'm just going to look at four. But uh, first of all, uh, how Daniel failed to use his position to try to advance himself. He was always looking to the glory of God first and foremost, and that's not something that comes natural to human flesh. Look at verse 17. After he says in verse 16, you know, that he promises him advancement if he can do such and such, Daniel says, then Daniel answered and said to the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. He sought the Lord's honor and not his own. And uh, it takes grace to do that. I want to examine our own hearts and see if we give any evidence that the ministries we've been engaged in have been motivated and empowered by the Spirit. Because it's very easy to engage in ministry even as a pagan, entirely apart from the Spirit. It's been done many times before. Uh, answer the following question. Have you done any work where you are gratified that no one saw you do it? Uh, no one gave you credit for it. You received no remuneration. Uh, got no brownie points for having done it. And yet it didn't bother you that nobody noticed that you had done it because you were doing it sheerly for the pleasure of serving God. Or how about this question? Do you tend to pray diligently when others know that you're praying, but whenever nobody else is around, your prayer life really seems to diminish? Christ addressed that in the Sermon on the Mount, and he pointed out how the Pharisees loved to pray. They loved to tithe. They loved to give charity. They loved to fast, but they only did it when other people would notice that they were doing it. And Christ says, I don't want you to be like that. I want you to try and experiment. I want you to do those same things, but do it in such a way that not a soul knows that you have done it. I want you to give, Christ says, so that your, your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. And he says, that is a true test of whether your ministry has been prompted by the flesh or whether it is really a spirit-empowered and a spirit-motivated ministry that you have engaged in. It's very easy for us to produce ministries like Abraham did when he sought to fulfill God's will by producing Ishmael. God says, I'm not glorified in that. I'm glorified when my spirit produces that ministry. And here's another evidence that the spirit not only indwelt Daniel, not only gifted Daniel, but uh, was moving him, motivating him, empowering him. Daniel was empowered to speak into a context where the people really didn't want to hear the truth, didn't appreciate the truth, and the truth was not welcome as it would be fully given. It was not custom to speak critically of the king. It was certainly not politically correct 
to um, be uh, speaking of Jehovah and his requirements. After all, he's just been finished being blasphemed in that very room. And uh, I think we need to put ourselves in the shoes of Daniel to feel what he is feeling. Uh, I think many Christians, if they were in Daniel's shoes, would have been sweating up a storm, maybe soft-pedaling the word a little bit because of the pressures, the emotional pressures that were there. It's tough to take a stand for truth uh, with your neighbors when you're, you've just overheard your neighbors bad-mouthing the very things that you stand for and speaking about how awful those religious bigots are and the tendency is to not want them to know that you happen to be one of those religious bigots they've just finished talking about. Okay? we we got to put it in, in our, our, our own context and feel what he went through. It's hard to take a stand for truth when your job might be on the line. There have been several here at Trinity who have had to take such a stand. I have found it hard to speak uh, against uh, the majority at Presbytery, and here they are, my peers, my friends, but to speak even in that context because you don't want to be in the minority. There's pressure there, and we need the Spirit's empowering for situations like that. Christians don't want to appear to be weird, to be different in whatever area they may be in. When I meet with Christians for racial reconciliation, the pressure is on to shut up about certain aspects of biblical truth lest I be labeled a racist. I've been labeled a racist for opposing government welfare, uh, for opposing affirmative action or quotas, and it doesn't matter if I... um, I try to bring in black leaders who have said, no, statistically, this actually works counterproductively against the very people it's trying to protect, that it's actually promoting the very racism that you're seeking to avoid, that it's unbiblical. You can still be painted that way, and it takes something given by God's Spirit to be able to stand and tell the truth no matter what others think. And I want you to examine yourself. Do I have that within me? Now, it's not natural. So if you don't have it, you can go to the Spirit for the strength to stand for truth. Another thing that required the Spirit was boldness and zeal for God. Now, I'm not naturally a a very bold person. I tend to be timid naturally. And so to to say the types of things that Daniel said here, uh, basically rebuking the king, scolding this king, to say the things like in verse 22, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this, and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. I mean, that is not something that would come naturally. And yet, God has given similar boldness in other situations. I don't have the boldness now because I'm not confronting that situation now. But God is the one who can give that boldness. And you shouldn't say, I can't do such and such because I'm too timid. What you should say is, because I'm so timid, I must go to the source of all boldness, the one who can give uh, me zeal. perhaps you, like the apostles, have fear of man. The apostles locked themselves in a room before Pentecost. They didn't want to witness and share the faith because they were fearful of men. But when the Spirit came upon them, they had a boldness. They had a zeal in evangelism they simply did not have before. Okay, Uh, The apostles in the book of Acts were accused of turning the world upside down. The apostles didn't turn the world upside down. If it was left up to the apostles they would have gotten into their, kept in their holy huddle and kept the faith to themselves because they were fearful of men. It was the Spirit that turned the world upside down. It was Pentecost working in and through them. And there are many other evidences in this chapter of the Spirit's power in Daniel's life. 